Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. A lot has changed in the four years since Slowtie released his debut album, Nothing Great About Britain. The outspoken and uniquely pissed off sound of an impish rapper lashing out at the structural inequalities of life in the UK, the record fizzed like an overflowing can of lager and changed his life in a number of fundamental ways. No longer lacking money, a job, or hope for the future, he had to change things up on his 2021 follow-up, Tyrant. That album arrived after a disastrous appearance at the previous year's NME Awards, in which a crude interaction with host Catherine Ryan led to a social media reckoning of sorts. Sporting all caps song titles like Vex, What, and Noticeably Cancelled, the album was defiant and confrontational. As he arrives at his third album, Ugly, out Friday via Method Records, Slowtie has once again pointed in a new direction. After the arrival of his son Rain in 2021, Ty is a young father, and his perspective has changed. That's not to say Ugly is all nursery rhymes and soft toys. The title, an acronym for You Gotta Love Yourself, acts as a rallying cry for both Ty and his fans. Across the album, he tries and fails to gain inner peace on the therapist's couch, before landing on his own response, pushing himself into self-improvement by brute force. This is an album that says feeling good and loving yourself are as simple as telling yourself those things every day. He now rejects negativity with the kind of muscle he previously reserved for Tory politicians. This new message comes with a new sound, an indie rock pivot that finds him singing more than ever, taking in all the moody atmospherics and spiky mosh pit anthems a drum kit and a cranked up guitar amp can bring. Guests on the record include Fontaine's DC and Ethan P. Flynn, with Black Midi and Wet Leg producer Dan Carey helming the project. As Slotai explained to The Fader's David Renshaw earlier this week, this latest chapter is a natural evolution of his quest towards happiness, being as honest as possible and always speaking his mind, no matter how much trouble it gets him in. How are you feeling about this third album coming out? It must be a big thing in your mind for a long time in the run-up to it, right? Yeah, I'm buzzing my tits off, man. I can't wait. I don't know, it's been a long time waiting, so now I'm just like counting down the minutes, really. I think every album's at Christmas, isn't it? I don't really get excited about Christmas anymore, so this is my Christmas. And the album is titled Ugly, which is kind of an acronym for You Gotta Love Yourself. It's, I've noticed in all the pictures and promotion, it's hard to miss that you've got the word tattooed on your face now. I was wondering what came first, the tattoo or the album title, and what was the thinking behind both for you? I think the the idea of the tattoo was I wanted to do it for ages. And then the title of the album, through making it, I just felt ugly signified it better. And then like, the acronym came, and then it just solidified it as a name. And then by halfway through, I got a tattoo on my face because I was like, I, I live by what I'm saying, innit? Like, and it's like a reminder to myself every day when I wake up and look in the mirror, it's like the first thing I see. I'm like, ah, oh, that fucking hell. Take note, innit? But I don't know, people, when I'm walking around and people go, you're not ugly. And I'm like, yeah, it don't mean that. But yeah, all right. Have you noticed 
people commenting it on in public more than your other tattoos. I, I assume so. Yeah, because it's on the face. I imagine people. <laughs> so you can kind of wear sleeves, like wear t-shirts and jumpers, and people don't really see all the rest. So as soon as something's on your face, then uh, if you're pretty engaging and people look at your face a lot, I suppose it'll be the first thing they see, isn't it? And obviously this album, it kind of feels like an album of not two halves, but two mindsets almost, where you've got the, the darker, more introspective moments where you're talking about going to see a therapist and the reasons behind that. And then obviously changing that mindset and how you did that almost through force. Is that something that you kind of feel you want to encourage other people to try and do? And is it? And what was that process like for you? For me, I suppose it was rewarding and it was like something... I needed to do in order to feel happy, you know what I mean? Like, otherwise, I'd just be living in a, underneath a cloud of misery. But then, I don't know, for other people, for anybody that's going through something, you have to want to change. So it's like, if that's what it invokes in people, that's what it invokes. But if they see something completely different, that's more pressing than, I didn't go into it with the mind frame or minds, the mindset of, oh, let me try and change people, you know what I mean? It's like people can only want to change themselves. So if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. And if they don't, fucking fair play to them, isn't it? Do you remember the moment when you decided to to change things for yourself? I suppose after be, after my son was born, that was the moment I wanted to like better myself. It's so hard, isn't it? As I people being responsible for ourselves is one thing but then as soon as we're responsible for like this little precious little angel you're like I don't want to do anything to mess this little guy up like but at the same time I don't want to do anything to not give him the opportunity to experience life for himself so I just have to be better for myself and also for my son like, not so I can lead by an example because he's going to get to an age and he's going to be like, Dad, you're a cunt anyway. But so I can kind of like just see things from a, a wider perspective and a better stance. Uh, I can't be a hypocrite, you know what I mean? I can't be like, oh, don't do this, but and be like, but you do that, you know what I mean? Like, I got to be, that was the the moment for me where I decided I need to like better myself and to feel better in myself. Yeah, and obviously as someone who's creative and puts a message out into the world, when you had your son in 2021, did you start thinking more consciously about the lyrics and the content of your music and trying to spread a more positive message so that when he grows up and listens to it, he can hear that that reflected back at him? I think I just try and give an honest... Like every album or anything I'm trying to say is encapsulating the time. I don't think of it as much as like, oh, I gotta go and make like a Pharrell happy song. Like, so when he gets older or when he gets to like four, he can dance around the living room. Like, when he gets older, he'll either listen to the music and like understand where I was and it'll give him a perspective of that, or he'll be like, this is shit and listen to something else. <laughs> so, I can't imagine, you know what I mean? I can't imagine he will grow up. He might listen and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I want him to just go and I want him to have his own experience and 
you know what I mean? It's not pressing to me. Have you played him any songs off the new album or even any of your older material? I played him majority of this stuff, to be honest. Like, because it's been from as he's been a really little baby to now he's a toddler. I've played him through the journey of me making it. And like, I think at the moment where he's kind of like, oh, I think kids have a good instinct of what's good and what's not like vibe frequency wise they feel it and he's like i wouldn't say he's vibing out he's not he's not like bobbing his head going this is sick i don't even think he can comprehend that but he smiles or on some things like yum i just think he definitely feel it definitely skit scats him out and he's a bit like oh let's just move in Moving a bit crazy, so yeah, I play him everything, whether he understands it or not. It's a different thing in it. Diesel makes me mourn, babe. Can I use your door key? She said, Have you got blow? It's funny because I just made it snow. Can't maintain a straight face on shrooms. I'm tight while this might get me loose. Looked in the mirror when you're fucked. Had a conversation with God. Bread for the stairs, it's the magic hour in a K hole like a clam and chowder. I wanted to actually ask about you becoming a parent and how it's kind of changed your relationship, if it has, with your own mother, because she's obviously a big part of your story. She's in a lot of your music, you know, kind of, um, I think people who are fans of Slow Tide know about your mum. I just respect my mum more, innit? Being a single parent. I already respected my mum endlessly. I can't even fathom it, but it just put me in her shoes a bit more. And like her being young, like I'm 28 now. My mum was 16 when she had me and it was a completely different time. I'm in a position where I'm fortunate enough to be able to like not really think about doing stuff where my mum had to think about every single penny she like had like to her name and like, the struggles and stress. So it has brought me and my mum closer because we can laugh. And I don't know, as a grandparent, she's already figured it out. So everything I'm stressing about and I'm like worried in this and she's like, ah, you're, you're like a kid. She's like, what are you on about? And she just deals with it. And like, as well for her, she's like, you don't understand, like you've got a son now and you understand how I felt about you. But when your kids have kids, the feeling you have for like, your grandchildren is like even more ridiculous than it was when you had kids and shit, like in that way or whatever. It's brought us back. It's brought us into a good place and we just sit and laugh at my son now rather than her laughing at me. So it's good. This is like this album, Ugly, is kind of quote unquote your rock album. A lot more guitars, a lot more. You've worked with various people who we're going to get onto later. What was it about that world and that sound that felt like the right fit for you on your third album? I don't know. I think it's in my spirit, man. It's that understanding stuff. It's like, why do you like chocolate? You just like it, innit? It's not like that complex. It's not like fucking rocket science. And for me, I've done uh, the rap thing. I feel like I needed a new challenge. And this is going back to my roots and something I always wanted to make. I just didn't have the tools or the belief from the people around me to necessarily do it. So now I do, I will, you know what I mean? Like, 
if I was going climbing mountains, I'd climb every mountain I could. And that's uh, this is my my next mountain. This is my Everest or my Dawn Wall or whatever you want. My next summit in it. So it's just a challenge for myself, and I think I've done it well. I know I've done it well. So this is it. You know what I mean? Life as a rapper is often quite solitary. It's just you your words, your voice. The rock thing tends to be more band-based. Have you kind of put a band together? Is that how you went about this process of making a, a more rock-sounding album? i got the ugly band there. We're the ugly... <laughs> it's like one of them proper cliche rock and roll things, isn't it? Oh, you know what? Music's music, yeah? We want to do stuff because it makes it relatable and makes it this and we want to box it in and call it whatever but I just think I made music and I've got a band and like they're the best band in the fucking world mate and I've never been a rapper I've just made rap music or I've just made music man and just chose to rhyme my words so whatever whatever you want to call it it is but now I've got a band we're going on doing shows it's lit we're together. And I think I've always longed for the family thing and a brotherhood. And I think I've got that. So just come and see us. Rock, bro. Tears of a clown every time I cry. We're happy living life like someone died. It really brings you down, treading nothing nice. Sitting in the dark trying to find a light. Life gives you lemons, keep your head up right. Sometimes I get jealous, wishing yours is mine. The guests on the record are people like Fontaine's DC, members of Jockstrap, Ethan P. Flynn, you worked with Dan Carey, the producer, who's worked with people like Wet Leg and Black Midi. Um, What were you looking for in collaborators for this album? Fun, man. I don't know. I think I didn't go out with the intention of, oh, they make this. I think you connect with people. And then the more time you spend with them, eventually you end up in a studio together. And then you have fun. Like the moment something becomes a job and it becomes boring, it's do something else. So, like Ethan, I worked with Ethan before I put out Tyron. Fontaines, I've known them from, since nothing great about Britain at the Mercury's and I've just bonded with him. Um, Taylor from Jockstrap, I met him for Ethan. I didn't even know he was in Jockstrap. We done like a live lounge or we done like a BBC thing where we played together. Everyone just met and had a laugh with him and then eventually I was like, let's get together. And uh, I didn't want it to be like, we have a session today and we have a session tomorrow. I wanted it to be like all people that are talented at what they do all in one room together and what we make is what we make it's like a like playing a game we all enjoy making music so we just done what we enjoy and out of it got an album with Fontaine's they just come to Dan Carey's studio and we're just jammed man for time just jamming like random stuff finished when I had a Guinness come back and got on the session and left at about eight in the morning the next day and come back and done the same thing again, you know? It was just good, good fun. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned fun there. Was this kind of the most fun you've had making an album? I mean, everyone's fun in its own way. I think this was the most free I felt making an album. And I felt like more, at the beginning, not so confident. But then everyone around me gave me that confidence. And like, was like, that's hard. And like, I'm stepping into something that feels natural to me, but it's like a new world, isn't it? So it's just, I don't know, out of it made friends for life. And people that outside of music, I'll just be with anyway. And go and link up with and just chat shit and like, do whatever we want to, you know what I mean? Early on, you, you kind of say you didn't want it to be this kind of, um, you know, very formal, we've got a session, come down, we'll be in the studio for whatever, these hours. Was there a breakthrough moment, any kind of particular song that began the journey of the album and kind of put you on the path to where you ended up with Ugly? I mean, there was like loads of, my, like, think sooner, I recorded sooner the night before the Enemy Awards. I recorded Selfish just after Tyrant, and then them two songs kind of got left and forgot about. I recorded Feel Good with Shy Girl and Sega and Quiz in one of her sessions. I think a breakthrough came when I made Fooling. I made that at Narcissus. And Jacob, we'd done a jam, and it was like a five-hour jam. And then out of the five-hour jam, there was like this one guitar line, and it was like backwards. So the two last chords were the beginning chords. So then I was like, oh, play it. Jacob, play it, play it. And he was like playing it. And then he got too stoned. He was like, man, I don't get what you mean. And I'm like, you need to just flip it. Like, it needs to go, this needs to be this. And he's like, oh, man. And then he was like, I've got to go home, man. I'm too stoned. So he left. And then Zach, I was like, Zach, you know what I mean, innit? And he's like, yeah, I get it. And then so we played that, done the drums, and then I just done the vocal. And then from that, I was like, bang, here we go. This is the door. Then everything else came quick after that. I think within the space of, I don't know, I think I had the album pretty much wrapped in a month. It's just been a long time getting it to where it is now. Uh, you mentioned the song Sooner a moment ago. I wanted to ask you about that song in particular. There's a line in it that really stood out to me where you say, question everything, but fuck it, I'm free. Is that kind of the ethos that you try and live by? Yeah, like you got to always take everything with a pinch of salt. But at the same time, none of it matters, innit? Like you could have all the questions and all the answers. You could tell me a complete, like the truth forever. Yeah, You could be like, you could have never lied. And I could take with a pinch of salt everything you're saying and be like, really though, you know what I mean? Because I I can't put myself in your shoes and I don't know what is real in your world, innit? So, fuck it. None of it matters. I just got to do what I'm doing, bro. Sometimes I want to kill myself Because failure's never been an option Whilst living in the real world I feel like I'm a real person Tell me, did you say something? Did you say something? Like paranoid? It's like I ain't got trust. Misunderstood church boy, and I always been a happy boy. You even work hard for it. Are you jacked up in the gym of steroids? I couldn't deal with half things, so I put them in a pile. It's worthwhile. 
No heart from a hard drive, gloss I cry and I never know what's in store. Every time they talk, they talk, they talk. I also wanted to talk to you about Selfish, which is the song. That I want to talk about the video for Selfish, actually, because you spent 24 hours in a kind of a mirrored cell, for want of a better word. I was curious, what was that experience like for you? Are you are you always kind of conscious that you're being filmed and it's for this, you know, promotional purpose? Or did, did, does your mindset kind of change quite quickly once the door closes and it's just you in there? Well, for me, I like... I think after a while, you kind of stop caring about being filmed anyway, and it? If you're worried about that, regardless of me being in my situation, you walk down the street and, and you're always on CCTV. Like, I've been aware of that since I was lit, tiny. Like, we're being watched continuously in our life, whether we know it or not. I didn't really think about it. I wanted to do it for more of an experiment for myself, like... I feel like in a time when you're overthinking, being alone in a room is like a good moment to really focus on it. And I was inspired by, there's this UFC fighter called Yuri, I can't remember his last name, right? But he was like light heavyweight champion and he gave up the title because he had an injury. But after he won the title, he went and put himself in a dark room for like, I can't remember the amount of time with no water, no food, and no light, like not even like a light deprivation room, basically. And he said he was alone and he got to fight his demons or whatever. So I felt inspired by that. And then I wanted to like do the whole, like it be a reflection thing. So like with the ugly thing, looking in the mirror every morning, waking up and saying, you got to love yourself. I wanted to just spend time with me and my thoughts in a box, reflecting on it. And it, if it, it's being filmed, it's a good way to introduce people to the album because they actually see me reflecting <laughs> and like, what it's like to just be in a room on your own. Like I think we take for granted how important it is to spend time alone. So the funny thing with it was, you know that saying, like, it's like watching paint dry. So I was in there painting and I was literally having to watch paint dry because I couldn't sleep because the lights were like crazy bright and shit. So then I'm like sat in there thinking, oh man, so I do these big paintings in the books. Then the paint has to dry in the books. And then I'm painting the floor. I'm like, this is for in there. I just keep thinking, I'm watching paint dry and you're watching me watch paint dry. <laughs> I'm like, this shit is lit. I'm like, this is crazy lit. It's just a way of doing something, a way of getting in and really having my thoughts. And when I was in there, because of how bright and all the mirrors and everything, eventually it just, I didn't have nothing to think about. As much, it was like the clearest my head felt in ages where I thought by being in there and there being nothing but me silence and like, I would have had all these thoughts and I would have been able to like really go over them and find some clarity. But the clarity was, I didn't have to think. I didn't think. I just made art and I was alone with that. and like, out of it got some really cool shit then and we got a video and we got a live stream so I come out feeling frustrated because I was in a box but as I put myself in a prison (laughs) out of choice like no one else no one else said to me do this I was just like you know what's sick like if I do this and then (laughs) and then in like about halfway through I laugh.
fuck this shit, bro. But it just goes to show you how fed up you get, innit? But they just think you for them souls. Rich get rich, and I've been one of them. I sincere in my friends. The jealousy, they wanna be me. The grass ain't always green on the other side. A scary side of Halloween. I got a few tricks, so we can get a treat. The victories all come from the feast. I'm just thinking for my souls. Thinking I'm just thinking for my souls. Gonna think for my souls. Thinking for my souls. I'm just thinking for my souls. You mentioned the the UFC fighter. I was wondering, is that kind of like a world that you're particularly interested? Like you're a big UFC fan? Yeah, I love the UFC. If I if I started training when I was ten, I'd probably do it. But I wouldn't mind having a scrap with someone. I love a scrap, but at the same time, I'm not gonna go. I'm not trying to be no Jake Paul and go, yeah, or like you know what I mean. Like a boxer is a boxer. And you can get good at boxing, but come on, like it's like art forms. You spend ten thousand hours at anything, and you're a G, you're a master of it. So I ain't trying to go and get my head kicked in by an UFC champion. I tell you that. Me and Curly, Curly from Fontaines, we was talking about doing like um, because we both love boxing. He's a good boxer, and I was talking about doing a charity boxing match. Like me and him, they're having a little holiday and stuff at the minute. When he gets back, me and him are gonna go to spa and start training. I think, and then eventually, who knows? We might have a little boxing match. But I, I don't know. I just want to raise money for something, and like help people, and it'd be funny. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to become a fucking professional boxer. I want to just have a laugh, and me and my mate kick the shit out of each other for an hour. I wanted to talk a bit about nothing great about Britain because this album, unlike the debut that you released isn't a political album. It's much more personal. It's much more about your thoughts and your feelings. I kind of felt like you were talking earlier about being boxed in and kind of expectations. It did kind of feel around the time of Nothing Great About Britain that you kind of got this label as political rapper. It was coming off the back of Brexit and all these kind of political upheaval in the UK. Did that come to feel like a burden at a certain point? Like you were being portrayed as a character almost? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of because it's like, oh, you're only ever you're a one trick pony, and you're ever gonna do it. You're always gonna do this. Like you can't do anything else. I just think then I was talking about things that pissed me off throughout everything. There's been stuff where whether you want to class it as politics or whatever, it's like ugly on this album is inspired by war between Russia and Ukraine. And it's like, that's why it's like, toy soldiers in line fall like dominoes. Like, it's like that. We attach ourselves and we believe in this thing and like we're part of this bigger thing. And it's like we're proud to be part of this country and we'll fight other people's battles and we'll do all these things. Thing, thing, thing. For people that don't even give a fuck about us. And then it's like, on a deeper thing, it relates to everything. It's like, you said that you love me, but you make me feel ugly. Like, by the things we're doing, you're the voice for re- you're the voice of reason. You're the one speaking on our behalf, but you're the one like leading us into hell, like fighting a war no one wants to fight. That's within life and within politics in the world and everything. That was just what inspired that. And if that makes this a political song, which it don't, it's just being inspired by things, like being inspired on the first album by what pisses me off. 
if that makes me a political rapper, then I don't know. I just think people are just quick, like I said earlier, to attach you to something because it makes it relatable. And then it's like, oh, you fit. It's like a marketing thing. You fit over here because you're a political person. And like, then you're going to go, like, I'm going to go on marches and talk. I ain't going to march for, like, change that isn't going to change anything. I'd rather raise the money and put the money to good use and then do it in that way. Or, like, I'm starting a charity and I want to start a foundation to help people that are in this fortune. It's not politics, is it? You know what I mean? So, like, when you did the 2019 Mercuries and you kind of had the famously held at the dummy of Boris Johnson's head, would you have second thoughts about doing something like that now because you are a bit more aware of how it is then portrayed afterwards? No, because that's that, that's that second-guessing myself. If something pissed me off in the fact of people being cut off that are less, for, less fortunate and, like, come from a place where I come from, like, I have to use them, like, a platform like that to make them statements. And whether people misunderstand it, that's their fault and they're thick. They shouldn't be so stupid, you know what I mean? Like, that's the problem with everything in life. People were so quick to jump on the surface level of anything that they don't actually look for any deeper meaning. They can't read between the lines of it. It's like when there's, like, a subliminal message in a movie, in the whole movie, people think it's about love, but it's about something completely different. And, like, you, there's people that see it, and at the end of the movie, they're like, man, that's crazy. And then there's other people like, I'm just so sad. Like, why did they not get together? You know, like, it's just different people. It's what you read into in life, and it? Like, you can just float through life and be like, oh, today is a good day. Or you can go and go, oh, it's good because of this and this, and these are the things that make life great. Or you're just like, it's shit. You know, like, it's... It's never analysing what is good or the things that make you feel good or anything. What would you say to any fans of yours who perhaps feel a little bit disappointed or let down that you've stopped, you've moved away from talking about those more overtly political subjects, especially at a time in Britain when things have become undeniably worse as time progresses? Do you feel any responsibility towards them for that? No, nah, because I think the message is still the same. The message was, in it. I wasn't ever a politician, so for them to be upset, I'd say get a fucking grip, you know what I mean? Like, I'm an artist, I make art, I make music based on my experiences and things that frustrate me. You either grow with me or you don't. And if you don't, so be it, go and fucking... I don't know, mate, like, but... <laughs> You can be like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm mean, fucking suck my dick, man. <laughs> One thing that I think is really good that you're doing for your fans, like I said, um, is you're on the Best Night of Your Life tour, which is kind of six shows in pubs across the UK where tickets cost just £1, which is very obviously very, very cheap. Can you just explain to me in your words why it's important to you to play these kind of very affordable shows. It's actually cheaper than um, some chips. Cheaper than a pint of milk and a loaf of bread. Fucking hell, mate. I think it's important because coming from a place where I couldn't afford to go to shows, like me being someone who loves to play music and connect with people, it's that only fair and right for me to give people who haven't got very much or necessarily the money to travel to a show and pay for a ticket 
the opportunity for me to go to them, play a show in a place they wouldn't ever see it for no money, and then come and like, have a good time and experience music. It's just a way of bringing fairness to it, man, and doing what I enjoy and what I love. Uh, and it's a cost of fucking living at the minute. No one's got money. So that for a way for me to give people a show and bring people like some fucking form of joy in the way I can, because I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, I can't ring everyone and go, how are you doing today, mate? But I can give them a show and I like, have a good time with them. And that's, if that's what I can do, that's what I should do. Because it's not about the money, is it? It's about the experiences and the time. And that's what I'll say to anyone who's sad about me not making political... Fucking hell, man. Come with me on a journey or forever stay there. Like, this is just my way of being able to give people something, give back to people. I also saw that there's kind of in, uh, inevitably people selling them, reselling them on the secondary market for huge, huge markups, like 120 times the price. Um, how how did that feel when you saw that? We had you prepared for it and it it must be frustrating it right? made me think i should have fucking sold a, i should have kept a couple of tickets back nah it pisses me off bro like but that's that like, that's the problem with people in it like people see an opportunity in kindness they see something where someone's doing something from their heart and then they fucking they see a way they can capitalize on it it's capitalism it's like a way it's like everything in life it's like electricity. Tesla had a theory of how to give it away for free. You can't do that. Like no one wants people to have anything. They just want to make and keep making and keep taking. And it's upsetting that them people got to the ticket before the people. Like obviously you can't stop people having their ways of getting tickets. But I genuinely thought the people who would get the opportunity to get a ticket would be people that really wanted to come to the show and like the music matters to. So the fact that they then go online and like have that try and make money. But then at the same time, it's a cost of living crisis. Like money is like something that people need. So me being my younger self, I would have been like, fucking hell, I can get a ticket for a quid and sell it for fucking 250 quid. I would have been the same little cunt. But me growing up and maturing, I suppose I'm like, it's fucking dread. And anyone I've seen doing it, we've tried our best to like retract their tickets and give them to people that actually, you know what I mean? But you can't see everybody in it. How are the live shows going? Is it a new kind of setup now for this album? And are you like, are you playing with a live band? And if so, how's that going for you? It's sick, bro. I got the band. We're out there. On the bus, it's nothing but good vibes. We like just play. It's just boisterous in it, good energy, and the shows are just crazy. It like reminds me of like like the hot. It's got elements of the hardcore, them hardcore shows. The other night, some geezer was proper, like he was going in, and this other kid he just messaged me the other day, like I think my nose is broke, <laughs> and I'm like, not like I condone any of that, but that's just. The shit, I, I just love that spirit, that energy where kids, don't, they just don't give a fuck and they're just having a good time. And they've just been, like, outrageous. I think I always love that, like, everyone just fucking going for it. 
And then these shows are just, I thought maybe, oh, with a band, like I was worrying that, oh, they're not going to hear like the 808. So they're going to be like, oh, this is what. And I'm like, I'm playing them all new songs that none of them have really heard, basically. There's like four in the set that they've heard. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so bad. And then I go out and they're like, that guy crazy, bro. I'm like, this is fucking lit. Do you remember any, uh, when you, back when you were a teenager, those kind of live bands that you got to see and that kind of, you know, kind of mosh pit and all that kind of early experience? Who who were some of those bands that you got to see when you were younger? Well, like outside of Northampton, no one, bro. Like, as I said, I didn't have the money to like really go anywhere you know what I mean like if I was going anywhere it was to make money so I didn't have the I couldn't think of any any way of spending money on a show or I didn't necessarily have the access to so like I didn't have internet I wasn't really an internet kid growing up and stuff I didn't have that to the later age and so it was just people in Northampton and then even reflecting on them I don't even remember their names like Blood Visions I don't know, some random ass fucking pub shite. Something else you've been doing around this recent, in the last few months, I've seen you pop up in ads for Homer, the uh, Frank Ocean's like high-end luxury fashion brand. Could you tell me a little bit about your relationship with him and how you come to be involved with, with that brand? I don't know, it's like a f- friendship, isn't it? Like, how do you meet your mates? We went out and we went, you know what I mean? Like, you meet people, you either get along with them or not. And then, like, he's someone I've always appreciated their art. And then outside of it, he's a lovely person. So uh, he's someone out of everything that I played the album to. And he was, like, the one person that, when I played it, made me feel like not like he was, like, guest. And he was someone whose opinion I respect the most, yeah. So that seeing how he reacted. But then that's how, you know, stuff like that, man, it's not even for everybody to know. It's like that's what it is, bro. You've spoken about have you have ADHD, which I think, you know, a lot of people have and it was kind of something that we're all learning more about. And I was curious one thing I read in an interview with you saying the way that it kind of manifests itself often is you become very, very focused on one thing. I think you mentioned kind of doing up your house. You were like very focused on doing up your home and then you kind of switched and decided you wanted to travel. And that that kind of like yin and yang thing goes on a lot with you. I, I was wondering, does that extend into the music? Like, are you, are, are you conscious of the music you're going to make in the future? Do you want to have Like, do you have an idea of what your fifth, sixth album is going to be, or is it very much in the moment? Whatever is obsessed, or you're obsessed with at the moment, at that point, that's what you'll make. No, I just know. I think I have an idea, but then at the same time, to lock it in and say this is definitely what it's going to be, I'd be kidding because every day the idea is changing in my head, and it it's just what inspires you in the moments. But I think. Music's the one thread that flows through everything that is something that like allows me to be grounded. You know, I mean, it's like the one thing that even if I fl- go do this, 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 it's the one thing that whenever I'm doing it, nothing else matters. And it's like my brain clicks right, it feels right. 
it's all planned, but it's never planned. Nothing's what will be, and it will be what it will be. And going back to the mysterious thing, yeah, if you never explained anything, you would never be misunderstood. And then it would be all interpreted how people want it, like it's personal to you. Like whatever it means to you, it means to you, man. I don't care what it means to me. I care for my sake, but you don't have to understand my music from my perspective because I've already made it for me. Now I'm giving it to you. It's what you, whatever you want. That's all that matters, man. It's art. If you look at a fucking picture, you might see a dot on a page and be like, this is the craziest thing ever. I just see a dot on the page. At the end of the day, I, whatever people want to do is what people want to do. Be you, innit? That's it. That was Slow Tie talking to the faders David Renshaw. Ty's new album, Ugly, drops tomorrow via Method Records. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Loughton Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, Amp. Download it from the App Store now. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.